Good afternoon. It's five o'clock on Tuesday, May 25th, um, London time, and I'm waving a few miles to the southeast to um, Caterham, um, home of the maddest uh, open, open seat sports cars ever made, the Caterham 7. Um, a little bit of history for motor racing buffs. Um, it's an elite audience here. Um, my guest this week is my friend Justine Clement. Uh, um, we met in Upper Mountain on snowshoes in January 2017 at a really cool um, creative container um, put together by a mutual friend, Carrie Beddingfield, uh, where about a dozen entrepreneurs and a few mentors got together on a mystery 30, 30 hour or so um, um, jaunt through the Alps and we found out that we were on snowshoes. So it was very cool. And my first memory of Justine was that I was quite knackered at the end of the long first day and I was snowshoeing quite slowly up the road up to the mountain hut and she slowed down, fit as she is, to pace me in there. Um, so Justine and I have stayed in touch uh, over time and she does lots of different things and has all kinds of curious um Curious and, and fascinating projects that she's working on. So it's a pleasure to welcome you to What Comes Next Live, Justine. Thank you, Tom. It's a great introduction. And I remember the night that we spent in that, uh, what do they call it? Not a sheet. In the, it's a mountain hut, basically, a smart one. But when you got inside, it was absolutely freezing, a bit like it is in May in, <laughs> in Caterham. And I remember, woof, that was an interesting night. I think that we all, the girls were together, weren't they, and the boys, and we were huddled together for bodily warmth because it, it was absolutely, I don't think there was any heating there, was there? I think there was a fire downstairs. But, uh, yeah, that certainly tested everyone, I think. And then we had to get up at the crack of dawn to uh, get our snowshoes back on again and... Uh, head out into the wilderness. It was a bit like that, wasn't it? Yeah, it was the only acceptable place in the last 15 years to wear Crocs that we had to, <laughs> the, the the rule of the lady um, who ran the place was everybody has to wear Crocs so she didn't have, mess, have you know, snowy boots going around the floor. And there was no running water, I also remember. Yes, and they had those very nice uh, French French loos, didn't they, Where, which are... Uh, Slightly old-fashioned French hole-in-the-floor lose <laughs> with, with all your uh, maybe not so bad for a man, but with all your skiing kit on and yeah, salopettes and goodness knows what. Yeah, it was certainly a good challenge. But it was interesting thinking about the snowshoeing because it was. I think we were mentioning earlier it's 2017, so probably in 2018 I had. Hmm. Uh, a skiing. I wouldn't even call it an accident, but I ruptured my cruciate ligament. And um, that was quite a key period for me. And I think I've said subsequently because it's it's like a two and a half year recovery from that. And I think I've said moving forward, no more skiing for me. But uh, but snowshoeing, I would definitely go back because I don't want to give up on the the Alps or the snowy mountains. But I can't see myself getting getting my knees back into uh, into skis. I think it just makes me wince every time I think about it. It's funny that I mean, the well, first of all, the two thoughts. One is it's a very create, you know, it was a very formative time. I remember, you know, I was in London by then. I would see you, and, and you know, sometimes when we're constrained, we, you know, we can we have to think differently. We have to start thinking differently about what we do. Of course. Um, 
And I do think back to that trip and the idea that it was, it was a, a language I just used as a creative container. It was great. There was a whole bunch of amazing conversations spurred by being outdoors. And of course, ahead of its time, because now a lot of people are thinking, well, we'll do stuff outdoors. Um, that could have been a clunky segue. I only realized as I was saying it that this <laughs> yeah. the stuff you're talking about, but it is, it is outdoors. But the other thing for me is I, I hurt my back falling out of my loft about seven or eight weeks ago. And I started writing a couple of weeks ago to get back into it. I got the okay from the osteopath and, um, that I was riding with uh, my normal riding buddy. And at one point we just come off the road and we got, and it's quite a steep bit, which is quite muddy. Mm. And he walked, he rode the bike down it. Um, and I just went, I could normally ride down it, but I went, Ooh, the idea of falling off and pulling my back would be just too much. So I just walked down it. Very sensible. It's just, it, it is interesting how, um, and then going to Pilates instructor, um, the other day and, and, he went, let's just recognize where you're breathing into. Right? Mm. Because I was trying to avoid breathing into my ribs. Yeah. I was breathing, I was, what do you, what do you call it? Accessory breathing into my shoulders. Mm, um, so yeah. I've stopped doing that and all of a sudden, all of a sudden the muscles are easier because I was protecting myself, but cool. I wasn't even aware of it. Cool. So these things, yeah. Yeah, these things are interesting. And I guess that, you know, two of the things that you've, a couple of things you got to talk about will be, you know, that, uh, probably are going to be things you've given me an experience of lately. What one is um, to do with the outdoors and the other is to do with breathing. So mm. yeah. um, if um, anything you want to talk about, then you can talk about anything you like, but if it's what you want to talk about, let's, um, I'd yeah. love to hear where you are with all those things. Yeah. And I think, um, I don't think I realized it at the time you said that for you, you know, it, it was a pivotal time and obvious thing because you transitioned from one country to another. And mm. I suppose I was, but I didn't recognize it, but I was certainly stepping outside. I've always stepped outside of my comfort zone, I think, but I've always been quite nervous when I've done it. And, um, I'll talk about it later, but we've just, uh, with, along with 15 other women published a book recently and I talk about it in, we each have a chapter in the book. Uh, and my chapter is called The Risks and Rewards of a Curious Life. And it's I talk about that even at 18 when I went off and somebody suggested going to do, I don't know if you remember, Camp America. Mm -hmm. I can't remember if you were in, in the UK at that point. But, you know, go off and I was teaching uh, American kids tennis and goodness knows what. But I, I remember reliving the fear as I wrote that chapter in my book of my dad taking me up to the airport from Cornwall, which is always a big trip to go up to London. It was a big trip to go to Plymouth, let alone London. And even though, you know, I was excited and gung-ho about it inside, I was quite nervous, really. And I think that's been happening a lot lately, stepping outside of my comfort zone, but not letting not letting those nerves or or lack of confidence stop me or when I or, or having the tool drawing on the tools really that I've been learning over the past I would say 20 years but probably more formatively the last six years to help me through those periods of of doubt doubting myself and and my next steps and um so I've been running, I was running a, a um, travel company of sorts uh, for, I was with them for about 13 years called Unmissable. Really lovely organisation. And when I look back now, I think we were running it with the kind of ethos that B corporations run now. Mm -hmm. I remember getting somebody in to give us an environmental um you know, look over and see how we were running the company. We would... um 
very much include the staff in terms of decision making. But I just thought that was the way that you ran a company. I mean, I became CEO, but sort of from the inside out, not not that I was um, was brought on board. I, I just kind of learned the business from the inside out. But that's the way that I felt that a business should be run with the staff making decisions alongside me, not that it was totally sort of I'm the CEO and I make all the decisions and you follow suit. And um, that business was sold and I went on with the company that, that had bought it, but just sort of lasted two years, as quite often these things do when one company buys another. It didn't work out particularly well and most of my staff left and I hung on for a couple of years and that was, I think, seven years ago. And the last seven years have been full of trying different things and working out what what's next. Um, and it, when you asked me to come and, and talk, I hadn't really taken into account that, that the title was what next uh, and what I would actually be talking about. And when I started to really think about it yesterday, I thought well, it's it's really topical. And I'm really grateful, actually, that you've asked me to come and chat because in doing this I, I like you I tend to write quite a bit and it's on and off it goes and fits and starts but having written this book it's really a period now of consolidation as to what's happened over the last seven years of setting up well what became a well-being agency called the life adventure not knowing what I was doing because the term emotional well-being or I, I'm not so keen so much on mental health but those terms were not around seven years ago. And I was putting together a platform for individuals or organizations to come and view videos. And we were we were live streaming originally, not not live streaming wasn't a thing back then. I mean, you couldn't just press a button on Facebook and get a live stream seven years ago. It was about bringing in kits. And I was working with Regents University, getting their students to practice on working on a real life startup. And I was getting to use their students and filming workshops on different topics of emotional being or mental health around trauma, EFT, tapping, um, we were doing workshops on how to avoid burnout. Some were live streamed and then we kind of moved to on demand. And then we picked up some government clients working with Bayes, the government department, and just bringing in people that had really inspired me, actually, over the last 15 or so years. And really from a point of curiosity, I haven't led a particularly traumatic life, but, you know, ups and downs like everyone. But my standpoint really is more around curiosity what is it that you can do the tools um, that you can adopt that can help you live a better fuller happier more creative you know all sorts of more fulfilling life and I was bringing different people in that I thought were amazing at it but never thinking myself that maybe I could deliver a workshop maybe that I could give a talk and I went through lots of years, uh, many years of thinking I would remain in the background and I don't really know anything. I don't know as much as these people on these topics, but really soaking everything up and absorbing it until um, until things just sort of started to slot into place a few years ago, really. And um, I was born in Wales. My parents are Welsh, all my sort of descendants, um, my ancestors, not my descendants, my ancestors are Welsh. And looking back, I, uh, you know, I, I left Wales when I was three and 
for some unknown reason, I guess it happens to people quite often in, in midlife, is I started to reflect on my Welsh roots. And um, I started looking up on the Internet about Celtic, Celtic studies, different things. And bizarrely at that point as well, don't do not ask me why it's one of these mad things. But I just had this real desire to start to go and have a day working with birds of prey. So as you do, put this into Google, birds of prey, Celtic, and something mad comes up. And then I embarked on this because I generally say yes to most things. Mm. Celtic, uh, British Celtic native shamanism. And I embarked on this one year course with this lady. And it was, it was, it was totally mad at the time. And I think she kind of thought that you should be able to do these things naturally, like ask nature a question and know, uh, be able to distinguish what the answer is. So rather than thinking it's yourself giving the answer, can nature provide us with answers to some of our questions and some of the biggest questions of all time? And nowadays that sounds like quite a bizarre thing, but up until 10,000 years ago when we became, uh, you know, we moved from being hunter-gatherers into arable farming that's what we used to do nature was our you know was our guru was our god and um we've moved so far away from that in the last 10,000 years but this course was teaching me to get back to that and reconnecting not only with my celtic roots but with my with kind of my roots of growing up really which was spent a great deal of I spent a great deal of time outdoors playing in streams and um you know just always on my bike outdoors with friends and you kind of move away from that when you get to your teenage years and I moved to London and worked abroad for a bit but I feel like I've been reconnecting with um the natural environment And along with doing that, I realised that the other missing piece of the jigsaw for myself and maybe for all of us is connecting back to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And that took me back to a path that I'd started 15 years ago, which was working with the breath. Mm -hmm. And so those are a few things that you've touched on there was the nature connection when you and I met, but also recently we went for a walk together and I took you to some woods, um, and also we've had a breath session together. Yeah. And now I find myself two years later um, being a certified forest bathing or Shinrin Yoku guide. Mm-hmm. And I've just recently qualified as a breath coach with a man called Alan Dolan, who runs a breath coaching business called The Breath Guru, who was one of the sort of first founders or introducers of the idea of breath work aside from or outside of yoga in in the UK. So quite a lot has happened actually and, and particularly over the last two years to bring me from working in an office um, in Battersea to being where I am now which is just sort of setting out my stall for being a, a breath coach and a forest bathing guide. Mm-hmm. So a lot has happened and there's a lot of what next, but, uh, and I, fi- I, I kind of contemplating it last night. I feel like I've literally thrown everything up in the air, all the things that I've ever done, all the skills that I've ever gained and all the people that have ever helped me. I feel that that's literally juggling with it, throwing it all up in the air and seeing what lands and the things that have landed are 
very much the connection to nature and the connection to the self through the breath work. Yeah. Um, at the weekend, I've been helping somebody for a few weeks look to buy a new car. It was the first new car they'd bought in 17 years. So we went to drop off the old car, which is basically a give the keys to charity kind of car, and, and pick up the newer car. And I said, take a picture um, standing between both cars. And they did, and they sent it to their family and stuff um, afterwards. But I had to push them into it by saying, you know, it's I believe in taking transitions and, and taking endings seriously and taking transitions seriously mm. and marking them. And um, my favorite, one of my favorite of 1300 plus blogs I've written is is about taking endings seriously. And it refers to, the, you know, the captain of Barcelona football team and how he just sat on the pitch and his, with his bare feet after the game once the crowd had left and the, the assembled media. Uh, he spent his whole career there, nearly 20 years. The assembled media just left him on his own. And they left him there for like 45 minutes to an hour. He just sat there on the grass, yeah. you know, marking the moment. And um, the book that you sent me uh, your chapter of um, uh, was uh, the your story was the risks and rewards of curious life. Mm. And it's the the book. What's the book called again? Book is here. I am every woman. I am every woman. And it, stories of fifteen women. And, and in reading this about 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 you, or reading your story, what was fascinating is that you documented your life, your life's journey. And then you kind of, ref, you know, you really just did a biography to some extent. Um, and coming out of it, there were, there were two thoughts that, that, that I liked, uh, which link into what you're talking about at this point, because, you know, you've been talking about how things led you to a point where really for seven years, you've just been exploring and then you've thrown them up in the air and now you've seen what's landed. So it's a pretty exciting point in time now. Yeah. Um, but the, the two things were you seem to say yes to a lot of things. So perhaps there's a lesson in there for people who um, so there are people who don't say yes until they know everything can work right. And there are people, uh, you know, and they, and there's lots of reasons why they'll say no. And sometimes they don't always have a lot to do with whether or not it would work. Um, yeah. But you, you yeah. say yes to things. And um, what was the other one that was a piece of language from Elizabeth Gilbert around people being either sledgehammers that just crash through and are outcome oriented, um, which I imagine when you were CEO and I did a CEO role that, you know, we do a lot of that. But I, I mean, I, I think a commonality you and I both have is we'll have wide ranging conversations over coffee for hours. Um, and the other language is it was a hummingbird that flits from thing to thing. Yeah. So I, I guess, um, You've saying being saying yes to a lot. You've now landed on two things. Yeah. Um, where does that put you in terms of an Elizabeth Gilbert persona now? Are you going to keep saying yes to things or are you going to go, actually, I'm going to build something now? Yeah. The story with Elizabeth Gilbert. So it's yes, yeah, so it's two birds. So it's a jackhammer and a hummingbird. And I was always very um admiring of people who knew what they wanted to do so they were right I'm going to be a doctor or I'm going to be a solicitor I've always wanted to be a lawyer what was it that you wanted to be when you were younger when people ask me that question I'm like oh. and I honestly only remember that I wanted to be an astronaut <clears throat> and I don't suppose I don't know for how long that was and I'm sure everybody was well, certainly not <laughs> certainly not little girls but certainly a lot of little boys might have said they wanted to be astronauts 
but um I never really knew and my I feel like my um my career has been that and I always felt it a bit of um of a not not a failure as such but maybe that I you know like we all do maybe I could have been better or oh I wish that I knew particularly in the last seven years having left I wish I knew what I wanted to do and there's been a lot of soul searching but in writing a chapter of that book and uh, I before the book led that what, what led to the book was a series of interviews um, by a lady called Claudia Roth and I suppose at that point, I don't know if anything else led to that, but me starting to look back and think, uh, what have I done? And then I listened to that. It just happened to pop up one day, uh, Elizabeth Gilbert doing a talk for Oprah Winfrey show, I think, and talking about um, jackhammers and hummingbirds. And the jackhammer knows what they want to do and they're, they're, they're quite fixed in their approach. And she considered herself a jackhammer. And that was the the people that I'd always admired. But then there were other people, and these people she considered to be hummingbirds, and that the hummingbirds go from field to field, collecting pollen from here and pollen from there and moving on. And what I say in the book, and the, the, the little line that we all have a little quote from it, is that, you know, I realised that there were other people like me, and actually she was making them sound quite good. And the quote is, you know, I felt altogether more normal. And in fact, Elizabeth Gilbert says, you know, she would love to have been a, to have been a hummingbird. And of course, when we're on one side of the coin, we want to be the other and vice versa. But actually, when I look back, I, I'm really pleased. And, and I don't know if anyone listening to this has any done, ever done any kind of shamanic or dream work, you call it really. It's when you go on a journey, it's a bit like a meditation or imagination exercise. And um, I got led on one one day, a, a sort of a, a dream journey, if you like. And um, part of that was was I imagined uh, being in a cave at one point and on the sides of the dark cave, it was a journey. So there was no point of this cave where I could move forward. The only place that I realized that I could move was upwards. And I could see these eyes from this cave. And this sounds quite scary, but it wasn't scary at all. And when I looked at these eyes sort of shining brightly out from the cave, what I realized that there were also these arms kind of lifting me up and showing me, you know, you need to go up. And then as I moved up, what I realized looking back was all these people, sorry, all these arms and these eyes were from people that I knew and that had been in my life. And I've always really loved, and I don't know what the exact phrase is, but I don't even remember who said it, but it's, there's no, in terms of business, there's no such thing as a self-made millionaire. In fact, I heard it from Benjamin Hardy. I don't know if you know him. But there's no such thing as a, as a self-made millionaire, and you can apply that to life as well. There's no such thing as you having got somewhere on your own. It's you are, you are the sum of all the people that have ever been in your life, the ones that you think have had a positive effect, but, but as much and sometimes even more so the ones that you deem have had a negative effect, because quite often they're the people that you learn the most from. And these arms and eyes were from all the people that had ever contributed something to my life and they were supporting me upwards in the cave 
And then I got to the next part of the journey. In this case, this maybe sound, sounds totally mad to some of you, but anyway, consider it was a dream. And in this dream, there was a big cauldron, a big pot, and I was encouraged to come over and stir this big pot, which had this sort of gloopy red liquid in it. And then the red liquid came up out of the stirrer and kind of came up over me and just covered me from head to foot. But it wasn't suffocating. It was uh, I kind of was then sort of breaking out from it. And the guy that was leading me through this journey said, how does it feel? And I said, well, it feels like a rebirthing. And I was quite traumatized. You know, it's for another time, that journey and where it took place. But it it was in the middle of a dark field by a long barrow, which is um, an ancient burial ground. And I was quite terrified. (laughs) I was quite terrified at the time. But this journey stuck with me. It was quite amazing. And I realized that's kind of what's happened, really, is where I am now is the sum of all the things that I've ever done. And if I hadn't been um, a hummingbird, which most of my life I've kind of sort of felt negatively towards, then then I wouldn't be where where I was now. And, and you know, I'm not saying that I'm, a, um, you know, something glorious or something amazing, but, you know, I'm quite happy with where I am and I'm quite excited, even though... You know, it, it's been it's been uncertain, and I've not quite known where I was going. Sometimes it, it's starting to make sense to me, and writing it down in a book or talking about it in something like this helps you to look back. And in fact, the book that we've written is about encouraging, is specifically for women. This one, but it applies to to anyone, is encouraging people to write their own stories. Mm. And this is like 3,000 words. I mean, it's quite hard to get your life into 3,000 words. Some people are focused on one particular area. Mm. But it's um, it's really, really cathartic, and it helps you make sense of what's gone on. I think what I, what I pick up from you in sharing the last piece was being without judgment when you take those two roles and I self-referenced a bit as I heard you say something about, you know, with the sum total, all the people that have been in our life. Um, but also the sort of hummingbird and, and, um, yeah, Jack hum- kind of thing. Yeah. So you might think, well, you've been hummingbird all the time, but then that without that, you wouldn't be in the position you're in now where you can focus on what you're focusing on. Um, and the journey that you had and doing a lot of travel, which you wrote in that sort of 3000 words, um, kind of autobiographical piece, um, which is very cool to read today. Um, you know, been in the travel, in, in the travel or events or anything like the experiences, you wouldn't have been in that if you hadn't done all of that. And I self-referenced by going, I was totally the Jack Hammer. When I was 16, I knew I wanted to be the, the chartered accountant, the finance director, and then the CEO of a FTSE 100 company before I was 40. Boom. Yeah. So I think it wasn't exactly what I did, but I wasn't too far off that kind of, you know, box ticking um, by the time I hit 40. And then I kind of looked and went, okay, now what? <laughs> so I've gone from being a jackhammer, but my natural sense is to be much more the hummingbird. Yeah. Um, that happens uh, to a lot of people in life, doesn't it? And, you know, at least you were courageous to change. I mean, I mean, it applies not just to careers. It applies to marriages. It applies to um, relationships, well, relationships, marriages. It mm-hmm. applies to lots of things. Or well, being in a house that, 
actually you just put up with, but actually it doesn't fill you with joy. It really applies to every area. And sometimes it takes courage to step out of that. And the fact that you did, but some people who've done a lot of training, you know, doctors, I'm sure your training was long as well, but doctors, um, Mm. architects, well, they spend six, seven years sometimes more doing training. So to step out of that or to acknowledge that actually they're not happy. I mean, I, I hear of a lot of people that are trained in law, actually, and then find themselves going, do you know what, this isn't for me. And they're kind of six years down the line with their training, but are brave enough to go, do you know what, that isn't for me. I've actually developed over time by sheer referral a niche in coaching lawyers as they become partners and start and then get told, right, go build your practice because they don't really get a lot of help. And they're often high achievers in their mid-30s. Yeah. And many of them will say, oh, I don't really like what I'm doing. You know, I, you know, I did it oh, because really? I was good at it. And, you know, people say, go do a law degree, be a lawyer. Yeah. And they're making a lot of money, and but they're not terribly happy. But one of the things I go is, like, you wouldn't have done this for 15 years if there wasn't something about it you love. Yeah. So sometimes you just can reconnect them to that. So for me, uh, being self-reflective wasn't a really polar thing about, oh, I didn't really like being the jack camera. I really had to change. It yeah. was more that that enabled, that also enabled me to be in a position where I could, because there's not many people in a position where they're fortunate enough at my age to be able to just say, hey, what do I want to do now? Um, so um, realizing that we're talking for quite a while, we could talk for hours about um, the forest bathing and the um, and the breath work. Um, but what I can say is that uh, the breath work you you pivoted this to do it online, all right? Mm-hmm. And um, even though um, at the time we did we decided to do this and it was part of your your training in it to do it for a lot of people. I mean, it's really into, um, extensive um, breadth and depth and width of training. Yeah. Um, you had to, you know, I was one of the people that did this with you. Um, but we realized at the time that uh, because of the lockdown rules, even though we only live about, you know, X number of kilometers apart, it's yeah. um, we had to do it. We had to do it online anyway. Yeah. And it was. But what I can tell you is that is I felt that that had. As near to 100 percent of the value as it would have done in person. All right. Mm-hmm. So that's um, a really fantastic experience. And one of the things about these conversations when people watch them later or listen to them on podcast um, is that they get an experience of the guest. Mm-hmm. I think that's really quite cool because mm-hmm. a number of the guests have, you know, this is a, you know, a space for them to talk about whatever they want and ping it out to their, their networks and, and et cetera. And I've, you know, I was talking to a past guest um, from last year, um, the other week, they're saying people have just found it, uh, what they mm-hmm. talked about, because there's a fairly good organic uh, search rate on my, on my site with the amount of content on there. Mm-hmm. Um, and they said, and they just, they wanted to talk to me once they listened to me speak. <laughs> so I get the feeling that there is, um, you know, if people are, um, in range of coming to up to the, some of the things you're doing and you're running events. Yeah. But they can work with you individually. They can bring corporate groups. They can do all kinds of other things. How, yeah. how do they, what are the core things that you're now putting out into, into the world for people to look at and where do people find them? Yeah, so the core focus really is the breathwork and the and the Shinrin Yoku forest bathing or nature connection. And what we're what I'm doing um, through my business, the Life Adventure, is I'm with a friend who actually I worked with 20 years ago, who's an author and she's done a one woman show and she's done a lot of leadership coaching and training. 
Um, we're running retreats this summer in, um, in Surrey and in Wiltshire and in Hampshire, which are for corporates. And it's an exclusive um, glamping site. And glamping, you kind of like have that word of, oh, you know, what's, you know, what's that? Well, it's quite amazing. So it's it, the site. Each site is for 20 people exclusively, but some corporates may only want 10 people. And they're in these luxury bell tents with wood burning stoves, proper beds. And they have the site exclusively, their own chef, which will, who will cook breakfast. You know, you can have breakfast outside. The one in Surrey, for example, looks over the Surrey Hills. You can watch the sunrise and the sunset from the, from, you know, from the field that you're in. And then, um, long tables. And then there's one giant teepee where we can run some of the workshops and events in there if the weather isn't so good. And we take people through predominantly a 36-hour program, but we've got some uh, companies coming for maybe month long, and they're just switching people in and out. Hmm. And we'll be running them through um, various experiences, connecting them to themselves and nature. So they'll be having a forest bathing experience. They'll be having a conscious connected breath session. They'll be doing vision building with Preeti and also storytelling. So, so telling, retelling your story or telling a new story for a new era. Hmm. Everything is sort of based around the fact of re-energizing yourself, reimagining a new future post-COVID, but also just generally what's happening in the world and the amount of change. And doing all that in a just a stunning environment where they'll wake up feeling fully refreshed because they haven't slept on the floor or on a grotty camp bed. And just not only that, they're just going to be together and reconnecting as a team out in nature, which I just think is the, the most, I mean, I'm really a fan of it. It's kind of bringing everything together that I could have possibly dreamed of um, in, you know, in one package. Mm. So we've got a feature running in the um, Telegraph this weekend on it. And then we, I think we've just arranging for an FT journalist to come along. We featured in City Wealth magazine uh, online publication last week, and it was the most read article of the week. Um, So it really seems to be, I'm certain of it, it's it's of the zeitgeist, and it's, um, you know, it's really something that people need. I'm not at a point in my life where I want to be offering people something because... I want to make a business out of it. It's I want to be providing something that provides real value. And so I'm really excited about this. And this is the first year, but it's um, it's a, at least a five year program. And um, yeah, really excited about that. So and outside of that, I'll be doing breath sessions for people on a one to one basis or taking them forest bathing. Hmm. Um, so the life adventure is the business where they can find me or my, the breath business is called Wonder Breath. And the forest bathing is forest bathing made in Britain. So um, those are the area, the places where people can find me or they can reach out to you. But I'd be delighted, even if they want taster sessions, if they yeah. like the idea of the retreat, the corporate retreats, we're doing taster days. Mm. So um, plenty of touch points for people. Very, very cool. Um, this highlight one is the idea of campfires. Uh, mm, I love a fire. There'll be lots of those on the side. I have done countless off It's interesting. In Britain, they tend to call them off-sites. In America, yes. they call them retreats. <laughs> yes. If you say a retreat here, they don't think of it as business. And over yeah. there, they do. But you, I mean, I was just doing one the other weekend, but it was on Zoom in, in Canada. Yeah. Next year, it's in person. 
Yeah. And so, and on a cyclical fashion, when you've been with a company for years and you come in once a year as their facilitator, guide, whatever you want to call it, um, they get, you know, sometimes they're, what are we going to do this year? Other times you get to blue sky and yeah. you get to really play. Yeah. There's a charity I worked with a few weeks ago that, um, has scaled up five times in the last three years, most of which was during COVID. And a medical charity on a, a, a life shortening disease, um, mm-hmm. to do with uh, the lungs. Right. So you can imagine the COVID times. Yeah. Um, but the, it was amazing to, to do. And now realizing all well, that scale this year was what are we going to do yeah. next year? Next year is what's the vision. And I really would love to get them out of a hotel meeting room. Yeah. Um, exactly. And, I mean, sit, sit by a campfire and, and retell the story. Why, where do we start? Go yeah. back to the past, come back to the present and then go into yeah. the future. But literally telling stories around a campfire is one of the most powerful things, you yeah. know, so. Yeah, because the whole thing for corporates started however many years ago is bring your whole self to work. And that has really changed since COVID because you're seeing people, you know, we've had countless conversations about this. I'm sure all of us are seeing people in their actual environment. I just think is lovely. You know, if I phone Lloyd's Bank and I know that I'm speaking to someone from there lounge i don't know it just makes it more connected really and if you're bringing people around a campfire um or waking up in the most incredible surroundings that's a whole other level again and you really and you know we know it ourselves from from the you know where where we first met up a mountain is it just encourages creativity like you wouldn't believe and also connection. I mean, we're, de- we're working now. Um, hopefully they're going to be coming along. They're coming for a taste today. But one of the largest uh, social media organizations in the world is um, has grown a bit like you were saying about the charity. But literally over the last year and a half uh, since COVID have doubled in size. Half those teams haven't met each other. So we're in discussions with them about coming along for, you know, an extended period of time, maybe a month where they swap people in and out. But people get to meet each other on a whole different level altogether. But not only that, we're we're teaching them how to reconnect to nature, mm-hmm. reconnect to themselves and reconnect to each other in that environment. And really, I couldn't think of anything better. Brilliant. Well, um Big observant, recognizing that unlike any of my guests, we've gone way over the time. Sorry. But what I didn't want to tell you while you, while you were talking is that we'd had a bit of a, I've never had it before, a clunk in the YouTube interface when we started. Yes. I thought I'd addressed it. <laughs> and then I realized as you were really talking through your history, um, that it hadn't, that the actual video recording hadn't started for quite <laughs> some time. So don't panic when you actually see that the video recording um, on the page won't won't have the first X number of minutes in it because the pod, audio podcast will do and it will have a bonus 10 minutes on the end. So <laughs> people want to re- if they watch if they if they check the video, they um, they can go, what was going on at the beginning there? She needs to launch it <laughs> midstream. I go, well, you need to listen to the to the audio. And I actually will get my webmaster to put a note there saying the video recording um, started late. So if you want the, the full recording, listen to the podcast. Um, but it's been an absolute pleasure listening to you talk through um, how you got to a little bit of how you got to where you are. Um, but the 3000 words you wrote in the book, remind me of the title of the book again. I am every woman. I am every woman. And it's uh, on Amazon now. Um, yeah. 
and um, and because people may not have, um, they may have listened to all of this, uh, but not not uh, watched the video, but not seen the beginning. My guest has been Justine Clement, who can most readily be found at the Life Adventure. Thank you, Tom. It's been a pleasure. I really enjoyed it. And you, would you like a last last word or a last thought about? Um, well, really, it's probably one from the book, which is really just about having the courage to say yes. I feel that like that's my message at the moment to anyone is you're feeling a bit stuck or a bit unsure and opportunities come your way, but you're too scared to take them. Just say yes, because you never know where the path will take you. Absolutely perfect. Thank you, Justine. Thank you, Tom.